Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called A Better Way. We're learning that the letter Paul wrote the church in Corinth shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. Thanks for joining us. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to look at verses 2 through 16 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use a hard copy, we should have one in the seat rack near you. And I think it's on page 930. The number's listed up on the screen if you're turning to it. But that's what we're going to look at today. And uh, again, uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, Brian Schorberg uh, helped teach us on the last part of chapter 10, the first verse of chapter 11. And here was the key verse. So, whether you eat or drink... Or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now this week, I want to talk to you about head coverings. How's that? And this reminds me that our commitment as a church family, not to jump around and just pick our favorite hobby horse passages in the Bible, uh, this is one of those weeks. Because this is a passage we probably normally skip. Because we think it may not relate to our culture, it's so different. And so I'm glad that we're committed to working through this because I, at first I thought I got the short end of the stick when it was my turn to speak on this. But what I've realized is there's some really rich stuff in here if we can, if we can open our hearts to what God wants to say to us. So um, if you're following along, here's the question I want to answer today while we're together. How do we glorify God when we gather to worship? How do we glorify God when we gather to worship? And Paul's going to continue to teach through this. He's going to talk about this. Next week, Steve's going to talk about how we practice the Lord's Supper together. Then we're going to look at how spiritual gifts are used in in our gatherings as well as when we serve together. We're going to talk about also more in worship gatherings as we come to chapter 13 and 14. Now, if you're following along, here's here's the issue, okay, that he's going to address And at first, it's going to seem so bizarre from our culture. But here's the issue. Dress codes and coverings in Christian worship. Dress codes and head coverings in Christian worship. Is anybody uh, tense about me wearing a cap right now? I want to just to create something different today by helping you understand that even though we are a different culture... There's an understanding in our culture about ball caps in worship spaces and when the national anthem is played. What is it? That a person, if they're a person wearing cap, they'll take it off. Out of respect. It's an unwritten rule, but most people know it. Now, not everybody abides by it, but it's, it's something embedded into our culture. And so I just want, want you to be assured I'm not going to wear it uh, again but I want to talk to you about this subject today. And I want to ask you if you would pray with me before we read this scripture passage, because most commentators say this is a very difficult passage to interpret for a number of reasons, including a number of words that could be misunderstood. So I just want to pray that God will teach us as his people. Now, Lord, we're learning, and Paul is showing us a better way to be your people in the world. We pray that you would use even this passage to show us how to glorify you in our worship gatherings. And we thank you for the word of God. We pray that we would be teachable, 
and that you would help us be the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Okay, now I'm going to invite you to read um, chapter uh, uh, verse 3 with me and then also later verses 11 and 12. But let me just say a couple things to you before we go any further. Um, one of the things that was happening in the early church is that, uh, that we can't possibly fully appreciate is, is that men and women by and large in most religious gatherings did not worship together. Uh, women were very much, especially in the Mediterranean, treated as you know, second-class citizens. Jesus comes along, and he begins in the new creation and restoring what was fallen in the old creation. He begins to restore and to esteem and to build up. So now, the good news was is that in the early Christian gatherings, men and women worshiped together. In fact, he was known for this verse in Galatians 3:28. Uh, maybe you've seen it before. There is neither Jew nor Gentile now, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, all those ways that we've used to separate ourselves and be divided, Christ has made us one somehow. And so he wants to talk about that mystery. But once you begin to talk about this new freedom, uh, sometimes it can be abused or misunderstood or unintentionally lived out. And so uh, here is some of what's going on. Is that Paul's teaching of the new identity and freedom we have in Christ perhaps has led some of them to remove their normal head coverings or unbraid their hair. And Paul doesn't congratulate the women on this new expression of freedom. He insists on maintaining gender differentiation during worship. In the Corinth of Paul's day, the only women who appeared in public without some kind of head covering were prostitutes. And you know that there was lots of temples in Corinth, and so there was a lot of that kind of promiscuity. Paul tells the women who were not wearing head coverings to wear them, not because it was a scriptural command, but because it was dividing people over a petty issue and took people's focus off of Christ. Paul is advocating that the churches maintain the clear cultural markers that distinguish male and female as in the general Roman society in order not to detract in any way from their witness in society. And I might add, too, he also addresses this idea of men. And what I want you to see is that, as Steve helped us see a few weeks ago, there was pagan worship, idolatrous worship. And so evidently some of the men were coming in and practicing this idea of covering their head. Now, some people say, wait a minute, if you've ever been to a Jewish synagogue, and I have, then you know that men wear a skull cap or a yarmulke, but that was not established until about the fourth century, and in a way that was meant for them to distinguish themselves away from Christians. And so I just want you to be aware that some of this was all going on very different from how we tend to think. Someone has said that when women walked in without their heads covered, because again, wherever they went, you can even see this in Muslim countries now, where women cover their heads, in many ways, even their faces very fully, that was a way in traditional cultures to express a difference not only in gender but also respect for authority and so what happened is is that when women walked in without their heads covered it was like someone walking in wearing a bikini it was like just so shocking it was just so different than the expected culture that Paul is trying to say look 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 something's happening here where we're missing 
what is important. And so let's get back to that. So I want to just share that as we look at these verses now. I'll read verse 2, and then uh, we'll have you read verse 3 with me. Here we go. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. In just a little bit, he's going to talk to them about one of the traditions, which was how to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you. But on the night, the Lord was betrayed. Now, Steve's going to talk about that next week. Here he says, I praise you for remembering these things that I taught you. In other words, good job. You're doing some things right here. Verse 17, he's going to say, but here's something I can't praise you for. And that's the way you're practicing the Lord's Supper. So he says, I praise you. But there's one thing I just want you to remember when I'm praising you from all that I taught you. There's a principle that I don't want you to forget. And that leads us to verse 3. Would you read that with me out loud from the gray box? But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man." Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Is anybody wondering what in the world is going on? Okay, let's read verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if it, that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay. This requires a lot of explanation, right? So if one of the things I just want to, again, just ask, I'm, I'm asking you, I wanted to try and do the same thing myself. In the United States, we tend to look down on other cultures that are different than us. We tend to think of our culture as the most sophisticated and the most superior. We just need to know there were certain things that were practiced in their day that had similar principles to ours. And so let me just unpack this. So evidently, here's what's going on. And again, we, we interpret this carefully. If you're following along, some are shunning social propriety and blurring gender lines. Some are shunning social propriety and blurring gender lines. What happened is they said, well, now that I'm free in Christ, it doesn't matter what I wear, it doesn't matter what I do, I can just do, and I'm in, I can have any kind of self-expression I want. And Paul says, just be careful with that. Don't get careless in that way. Especially if when you do things, it's going to affect your oneness as a church and also your witness to the watching world. Just be mindful. Be mature about this. Keep growing up. 
Because if, you have, if all you're into is self-expression now because of your freedom, then you misunderstand why Jesus died for you. Galatians 5.13 is a powerful verse. And um, here's what it says. My brothers and sisters, God chose you to be free. But don't, your free, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do what pleases your sinful selves. Instead, serve each other with love. In other words, don't be self-indulgent. Don't be, okay. So let me, let me uh, say... Uh, something else if you're following along. They're drawing the focus away from God and hurting their witness. They're drawing the focus away from God and hurting their witness. Maybe it's unintentionally, but you get the impression that people are beginning to do this carelessly or almost even proudly. Now, when we worship in a room like this, we can tend to think that this is how most church services were back then, too. And we can read in Acts 2 how they met in Solomon's colonnade, which was probably a larger open courtyard. But it also says is that they often worshiped in homes, the church that meets at Lydia's house, the church that meets at so-and-so. So again, some of the more wealthy members of the Christian early churches would open their homes and they would have these larger open spaces so that people could gather. Now imagine coming in and having someone begin to change the social customs so radically that you can barely, you can barely focus on God. And there's a side of you that's just going, what? And again, you're not trying to be proud, but you're just going like, what? Why are they doing that? That's like, it's very hard for me to concentrate when they're just breaking just such a clear social custom. If I wore my cap the entire time I preached, you would be finding some of you may not have a problem at all, but many of you would be going, come on. Show proper respect. That's just, that's very distracting, Jeff. Don't do that. And so they were doing that. Now, let me just say several different things about this. Because, again, is God against all self-expression? No. But he's asking that our motive would always be to glorify him rather than drawing attention to ourselves. One of the things I've never forgotten is when Steve shared years ago, before he preaches on Sundays, when he gets up in the mornings, he gets up early, and he just one of the first things he does is he prays a prayer where he can die to himself so that God can speak through him and not be a distraction. I remember thinking to myself, that's really powerful. I want to have the same spirit. And then I think about our worship teams up here. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. There is no desire to have a prima donna spirit among any of these people. They try to come up here and be surrendered to God so that they aren't an unnecessary distraction, the choir included. And, and I just want you to know, I appreciate that. That kind of heart makes a difference and helps us be able to focus on God more easily because we're just trying to be regular people that are pointing to God and doing that together with you. When you have that kind of thing, and I must admit, I must confess there are times when I've found myself, when I'm getting ready in the mornings, of thinking, am I more, am I more interested in dressing to impress or am I more interested in dressing to worship? I want to be the kind of person that's not about, hey, notice me. But in our fallenness, in our insecurity, in our pride sometimes, we can very easily say, notice me. I want, I want attention. And God's saying, be, just be wise about that. Keep growing up. Now, let me say another thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but oftentimes in churches, some of the division that comes often starts around worship. Sometimes some of the 
uh, inappropriateness or some of the immorality can happen uh, among people that are helping lead worship. Sometimes it can happen um, where uh, there's just this divisive spirit over worship practices. And I've often asked myself, that's a curious thing. Why is that? Well, if you study the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, it tells us that Satan, the devil, was at one time an angel that was in charge of worship in heaven. He was the worship leader in heaven. And he fell from heaven because he wanted the glory. And he still operates that way to this day. If he, because he's a fallen creature, because he is ultimately doomed, with the time he has left, one of his greatest desires, since he doesn't have more power than God, is if he can disrupt, distract, divide, or destroy, he will. And so he wants to disrupt our worship gatherings so the focus gets away from God. He wants to distract us. He wants to divide us so that we're not one in purpose of worshiping, glorifying God. And he wants to destroy our witness in the world. And if he can do those things cleverly, even through the crazy business of head coverings or no head coverings, then he's committed to that. And yet we are people that are learning that if we're going to glorify God, we need to pay attention to anything that might disrupt, distract, divide, or destroy in all humility. And so this is what we're learning about. And this is the principle that Paul wants to get to. So here's the thing he does in this passage. And again, I'm thankful to David Platt, as I mentioned at the bottom of the notes, for some of his thoughts on this. But Paul gives four characteristics that can bring freedom and order. Paul gives four characteristics that can bring freedom and order. The evil one, his evil spirit, is to do those four deeds that I talked about. But the Holy Spirit, when he gets a hold of us, he helps us maintain a oneness of spirit. He helps us glorify Jesus. He helps us be a church family together. And so he is a different spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17, which he would later write in another letter to the Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is a measure of freedom to just be ourselves in the presence of God and be able to really enjoy being together. But notice this. This is what Eugene Peterson says in the message paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 14.33. When we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. This goes for all the church, no exception. And so this is what we want. Later in 1 Corinthians 14, one of the things he's going to say is, look, when people walk into your worship services, if an outsider comes in and you're doing all kinds of crazy things that are confusing, they're going to they're gonna think, what, what's wrong with this group of people? But if you learn how to worship in the way that he's you know, instructing us here, people will literally walk out of our worship services and say, surely God is among you. And this is what... This is what Paul's aiming for. So if you're following along, here's the first thing of the characteristics that can bring freedom and order. A glad submission to loving authority. A glad submission to loving authority. Whatever we understand about all this stuff here uh, that talks about uh, the head of this, the head over this, and that kind of thing, one thing we've got to see is that he is trying to remind us of the order God has established. 
So even in verse 3, he says, I want you to realize, look, from the very beginning, God has always been a God, not of disorder, but a God of order. And if you want to make sure that you're in tune with him and glorifying him, don't override his order. And so that idea is, is that there is this mutual submission. There is this glad submission to loving authority that's all over the place. Listen to what he says, David Platt says about this. He says, when we gather, we are all submissive to the word. Paul begins this whole chapter by commending the Corinthians for maintaining the teaching and traditions that Paul, as an apostle, had passed down to them. This makes what we're doing in this room this morning very unique. There are lots of groups gathering together today to talk about all kinds of different things, sports and entertainment and politics and current events. And while they're talking about all these things, we're sitting here talking about women's head coverings in the first century. Does that make us weird, out of touch, antiquated? Some may say yes, but this is part of what's distinct about what happens when Christians gather together. We don't set the agenda for what we talk about. God does. We gather together around his word, and what he says determines what we talk about and think about and apply to our lives. This is a very unique thing. We are a people who come together every Sunday to spend concentrated time listening to what God has said in his word. Whatever this book says to believe, we will believe, and whatever it says to do, we will do. And he goes on and talks more about this glad submission. He says this, Jesus submitted to the Father, and Jesus said, my will is to do the one of him, who's, the one who sent me. Is this chauvinistic of the Father? This is loving authority and glad submission in a beautiful relationship. This is the gospel. This is what the cross of Christ is all about. Jesus gladly submitting himself in the garden of Gethsemane to the will of the Father to endure the wrath, do your sin and my sin by sacrificing himself on a cross. Because of his glad submission, we have eternal salvation. The idea of headship and submission did not begin with Paul and it is not still alive today because of preachers like me. The idea of headship and submission never even began it has always been because God has always been, and it has always been good. And so uh, one writer puts it this way, we can say then that a relationship of authority and submission between equals with mutual giving of honor is the most fundamental and most glorious interpersonal relationship in the universe. Such a relationship allows interpersonal differences without better or worse, without more important and less important. And when we begin to dislike the very idea of authority and submission, not the distortions and abuses of it, but the very idea of authority and submission, we are tampering with something very deep. We are beginning to dislike God himself. And so as we look at this passage, did you notice how he says that in verse 3, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. What he's doing is he's going back to the first two chapters of Genesis when he's talking about how God set things in motion, how God created this order. And so if you've not seen Genesis 1, 26 and through 28, look at here's what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Do you see how even from creation he had this sense of order? Then look at chapter two, verses 20 and following. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And he's, re- he's remembering this, and Paul's saying, remember, God is a God of order and not of disorder, and here's how he works. So remember that. So he uses this idea of head. If you're following along, headship is this idea he first introduces in these verses. And head, the idea of head, both the physical head and also the figurative idea of head are used nine times here. And it can mean two things, and this is where oftentimes controversy comes in when people talk about men and women uh, participating in the church, is that it can either mean authority over or it can mean source, like the head of a river, the source where it all is traced back to. And so some people say it's either or. And all I want to say is there are, there are, is a basis for believing both. For instance, when you say that a man, you know, a woman comes from man or a man comes from woman, that idea is like almost tracing back that there's somehow this idea of source or, you know, going back to. But also, there's clearly this idea of a certain amount of authority structure and order. And so he's saying authority over And so you see these things all with the word head. Now, Paul is basically saying, look, when you walk into a worship gathering, because of the culture going on right now in Corinth, guys, don't cover your head. Women, cover your head. And then get about the business of glorifying God. But make sure that you do that because you want to honor God and each other. Do it in such a way that you're not just throwing off all authority and not being submissive, but practice glad submission to loving authority. And when you do that, all of a sudden, a spirit is created. The world watches that kind of honor, and they see something different rather than some kind of self-promotion, self-exaltation. And so, again, um, notice this, that in Ephesians 5... Uh, 21, he actually says this to the whole church, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, out of your reverence for Christ and all he's done for you, have this kind of mutual submissive spirit when you work, when you, you know, work alongside each other, when you worship together. And then he goes on and talks about the different roles that wives and husbands may have. Now, here's the tricky part of this passage. Some of your Bibles even have it in the footnotes. The same word for man can also be translated husband. And the same word for woman can also be translated wife. So the question is, is he talking to husbands and wives, just married people, or is he talking to the whole church? We don't know. But we know that whether you practice it, either way, if you have an honoring, cooperative spirit with each other, and again, not not talking about abuses, 
I'm talking about having that kind of posture. That can be a powerful, powerful thing when you gather to glorify God. But notice this. That's not where he stops. He goes on then and brings a kind of balance. And so along with a glad submission to loving authority established by God, he also says, number two, a godly understanding of gender mutuality that's being restored. So a godly understanding of gender mutuality that's being restored. So he says at first, he says, look, remember that man was created first, so the woman was actually came second because she was created from the man. So there's this, somehow this relationship there. But if you're going to see that, you also have to notice that after that, every man came from woman. And so there, there's, stop trying to separate this stuff out and try and create this kind of arrogant thing that's still part of our culture where men look down on women or women, you know, look, you know, down on men. This is, this is not, this is not God. Jesus came to restore what happened in the fall so that no more would there be this kind of tension. It'd be unnecessary if you're have the right heart, if you have a glad heart to do this kind of stuff. And so he talks about partnership. Partnership, if you're following along, where men and women are equal and interdependent. Where men and women are equal and interdependent. Uh, There's not one that's more important. Uh, Chuck Swindoll has said this, showing the equality and mutual dependence of men and women Paul tells us that neither the husband nor the wife is independent in the marriage relationship. Yes, Eve originally came from Adam, so males originally were the source of females, but ever since the initial creation, all men were born from women. Both men and women are absolutely essential to reflect God's image and glory, to exercise his dominion over the world on his behalf, and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The woman is an essential and valuable part of God's plan. In his plan, men and women are spiritual equals, possessing different roles in the marriage relationship, but equal nonetheless. And so this whole idea of, on one hand, pay attention to God's order, but on the other hand, understand what he is restoring, that it makes those relationships richer and mutual respectfully. So as you think about all this, here's several other things that always bring uh, the characteristics that bring freedom and order and God-glorifying worship. Three, a personal commitment to modesty. A personal commitment to, to modesty. Whatever all this means about heads being covered or not covered is something is going on here where in most traditional cultures, again, when a woman let down her hair like that or she just did not have her head covered, it was a sign of looseness. As I already shared with you earlier, a person would have been mistaken for a prostitute or sending a very confusing message like, uh, I'm not really that into my marriage these days, or I'm available. And so when that was going on, Paul just said, be really careful that you don't use your freedom to miscommunicate something. Practice modesty. He he says this in some other places too, and obviously this replies, I said earlier that some men were sometimes trying to send signals uh, that were inappropriate, either in a homosexual way or in other ways by the way that they came in with their heads covered. But notice this in 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, 
appropriate for women who profess to worship God. What he's saying is, look, when you're wanting to glorify God, pay more attention to your inside than your outside. It doesn't mean you try and look as terrible as you can. It just means have some wisdom, have some balance so that you're not distracting people away from worshiping God. And the last thing here is that it's an intentional posture of humility and not being contentious. Along with a glad submission to loving authority, a godly understanding of gender mutuality, a personal commitment to modesty, an intentional posture of humility and not being contentious is super big for God to be glorified. We've all seen, right? If any of us start to become proud in our treatment of each other, does that glorify God? No. And so he says to this in the last few verses, he says, look, I'm going to just appeal to nature. Women's hair can grow longer than men if they decide to have a contest. And so just know that in a way that kind of even hints our customary practice of women covering their heads. There may be something there. But then he also just says this. Look, if you, have, you want to be contentious about this, I don't want to argue about this. This is not a major. This is a minor. This isn't over whether Jesus and salvation are at stake, but this is about whether or not you can be fruitful as a church and have a great witness in the world. And so he says, if you want to be contentious, just know that all the other churches have this same practice, and I would just urge you to have the same humble posture when you think about this. And so, my goodness, I I was just thinking about how important humility is. We've talked about this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you and I practice humility in our homes, grace flows. When we practice humility in the church, grace flows. When we practice humility, when we're wrong with each other, when we begin to relate rightly, grace flows and God is glorified. And this is what he wants. And so one last thing to wrap this section up. Glorifying God in our worship gatherings happens when men and women, if you're following along, pray and prophesy with this heart. When men and women pray and prophesy with this heart, so maybe you noticed this already, but he says, look, when a man prays and prophesies with his head covered, that dishonors his head. When a woman prays and prophesies with her head uncovered, that dishonors her head. So he says, look, he he talks about how both men and women pray and prophesy. Again, this would have been totally radical, but this is what Jesus had now made possible where God can now shine through both men and women, where God can begin to communicate and that kind of fellowship can happen. And so several things are required here. We need to talk about the word prophesy because most of us, when we hear the word prophesy, we, we, we think of prophecy, which means to foretell what's going to happen in the future. But most scholars will tell you that while that has that meaning at times and has become more popularized in our country, that idea originally was to foretell more than foretell. In other words, if someone was prophesying, what they were doing was they were sharing a message from God or they were giving a word of encouragement or saying, you know, this scripture really was helpful to me. I'd like to share it with you. And there was this kind of spirit now where both men and women could contribute to the learning of the church, and they could learn things together and hear the voice of God together. And so, this praying and prophesying. And so, if you've not seen this before, what Paul is saying is that when Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out on his people as promised, something would happen. 
Notice this. This is Acts 2. This is on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. Peter stood up because people didn't understand how both men and women could speak the, the, the word of God to the, 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 the glories of God to, to all the crowd. And he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And so again, you can read later in Acts 21, uh, one of the leaders of the church had, a, had four daughters that all were prophets, that all could prophesy. They had this ability, this gifting, but also, again, it was a practice in the church. Now, some of you are going to say, hey, Jeff, isn't there some verses in the Bible that say don't, you don't permit a woman to speak in church and all that? Yeah, that's coming up in chapter 14, and I get that passage too. <laughs> so all I want to say to this is, you may say, well, what's your thoughts on that? I'll say, I'm, I'm not going to tell you right now, okay? But here's what I do want to say. Whenever we do get to that passage... This passage has to temper that. Because there are indications that Paul understood that this is what Jesus came to restore. And I am thankful that on any given Sunday, we get a chance to pray and prophesy together with the Lord. And whatever the hell that means, we can learn from each other. So I'd like to just uh, say one more thing. When he says to the woman... A woman ought to exercise her authority by covering her head because of the angels. Most of us are going, what? Angels? Now you've really made it messy. And here's all I want to say. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) But but I have some thoughts, okay? First of all, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 4.9, Paul says, sometimes I think we're put on display uh, and made a spectacle in front of not only people, but angels. There's something about how angels are somehow watching us. And uh, Ephesians 3.10, he says this to the church in Ephesus. Uh, I think we have it on the screen there. He says, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And he's saying, look, God wants to use the church. So when you gather together to worship, the angels... Get a chance to see God's wisdom manifested in some powerful ways. And then look at 1 Peter 1, 12. I love this verse. It says, and now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Now, I don't want anybody to be more caught up with angels than Jesus But if you ever want to read more about angels, Billy Graham wrote a great book called Angels. But right now, all I want us to know is is that angels are part of this gathering and worship, and they're watching us, and they have a chance to learn from us and with us what God is doing in the world. Praise his name. So here's some closing thoughts. Practicing this together. First question, have I submitted my life to Jesus Christ and his authority? Have I... Have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ and his authority? Why do I ask this question? Friends, I'll just make this humble observation. If you have never, ever done this, then every time the Lord commands you to do something or calls you to do something, it'll end up being a fight if you don't want to do it. 
And it's tough enough for those of us that are already submitted to him. But if, if you're always regularly asking, and so recently I heard Francis Chan share something. He was asked a really difficult question, and he, he answered it this way. He said, the bottom line is, what I say to people is, and he, he was quietly holding up his Bible like this, not in a proud way. He just said, are you willing to surrender to God no matter what he says? He says, what? And some of you know Francis Chan is Chinese descent. What if he said to people in this book, Chinese people have to stand on their heads? He says, I mean that just as an example. But if that's what he said, I'll try to stand on my head. He's God. What if he said Chinese people don't get to marry? He's God. I don't like that, but I'm going to surrender to that because I understand the difference between a creator and a created being. So whatever he says. And before we ever get to what does this book actually say about this or that, would I just submit to him? He said, I really believe that's the core issue here. And I believe it is too. And if you've never, ever done that, I'm appealing to you today to respond to the Holy Spirit who is working in your heart, asking you to fully submit to him. No holding back. No holding on to that one thing that you won't submit to him, saying, even that, Lord, I'll submit to you. You're God, and I'm not. And when you and I do that, and practice that throughout the week in an ongoing way, and then we gather together, our hearts will be ready to glorify God. And there will be a different spirit between us, and we'll begin to see what God wants us to see in ways, and we will be able to declare the wisdom of God to the world and demonstrate it. And the last question is this, do I celebrate God shining through both men and women? Do I celebrate when God shines, shining through both men and women? Um, there's so much I could say here, but let me just say a couple things. I'm gonna, you know I'm going to mention my dad, but here it goes. My dad said something to me when I was getting married. And again, it was a Christian marriage. My wife, any of you that know, I'm, I outkicked my coverage. But my dad said to me, Jeff, I want to give you some wisdom. Here it is. Listen to your wife. He said, here's what I've learned. Women are often more spiritually sensitive than men. And God will often say something to them before he says it to you. And if you'll listen humbly, you'll hear what God wants you to hear often through your wife. The other thing he taught me is as a pastor, someone who was involved in worship regularly, he said, if I'm not right with your mom, I don't care how powerful the sermon is I preach on Sunday. God is more interested in me getting right with your mom before I preach than what I preach. And here's what I understand. God wants to shine through both men and women who have hearts like that. And I just want to say, Cherry Hills, I am so thankful that so many of you want to practice this kind of posture. And now we get to sing together his praises as we praise Jesus, who for his glad submission to loving authority saved us by doing that. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org 
or follow us on Facebook.